Hello, 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 and welcome back to the More Money Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Morehouse, and this is episode 283. And uh, I've got uh, I've got someone on the show that I should have had on the show years ago because I've known him for that long. I've known him, gosh, I think for as long as I've been blogging. I mean, I don't actually know how long I've known him. Like, I want to say close to a decade, or at least I've been following his blog for that long, that's for sure. Um, I'm talking about Mark Seed. He is the blogger behind My Own Advisor, myownadvisor.ca is where you can find him. Uh, He also has another project. He's the co-founder of Cashflows and Portfolios, which we do talk about in this episode a little bit, Uh, but it's a a great resource for all you DIY investors. Uh, In this episode, we talk about um, his journey to FI, financial independence, his tips, and this is also Canadian specific. So if you're Canadian, you're going to love this episode. I love diving into investing, but I also love talking about Canadian investing because it is a bit of a different world and, um, you know, applicable to all of us. Um, So just so you know, Mark is a passionate and successful DIY investor who, like I mentioned, is the founder, owner, and editor behind My Own Advisor, which is a very popular and established personal finance and investing blog for Canadians. And he started it in 2009. I mean, gosh, gosh, two years before I started my, my blog. And I'm telling you, when I started my blog, you will, well, you will not find any of my old blog posts. They are deleted. You cannot find them because they were they were just garbage. I mean, I'm just gonna say it right now. I wasn't a good writer back then. But uh, Mark is amazing. I love his blog. He's also been featured in Money Sense Magazine, The Globe Mail, Winnipeg Free Press, and numerous Canadian podcasts like yours truly. Uh, And he's also featured as one of the many bloggers to follow over the years by RateHub and other personal finance sites, as well as is a presenter and speaker at the annual Canadian Financial Summit. Uh, And Mark's successful financial journey to date now delivers more than $20,000 per year in tax-free, yes, tax-free and tax-efficient income through some of his investing accounts. Uh, We talk a little bit about, you know, I mean, how, how, the how, uh, because he's all about uh, dividend investing. That's a different world, I'm telling you. There's so many different little niches and pockets in the investing world. Dividend investing is a whole different world, and I love it, quite honestly. I do kind of lurk in a few dividend investing Facebook groups just because I want to see what people are talking about. Anyways, so he is uh, on his way to reaching semi-retirement with his wife, and he calls it Fi Woot, <laughs> uh, financial independence, work on your own terms or work on own terms. In just a few years, he's very close to reaching his goal. So, uh, you know, he's such an inspiration. So we're going to talk about so many good things in this episode. Cannot wait. Uh, but just before I get to that interview with Mark, here's just a few words I want to share about this podcast episode sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by TD Direct Investing. TD Direct Investing is marking June as Options Education Month with the goal of helping investors learn more about options trading. Throughout the month, they are hosting a number of free virtual events for beginner and intermediate investors alike. Want to learn about some of the things people wish they knew before they began or build on some of the knowledge you may already have on options? Visit td.com slash options education month to register for one of the many live webinars TD Direct Investing will be hosting. Or if you're more interested in getting an introduction to options in the first place, place, there are a number of on-demand video lessons available too. To learn more and to check out the list of free events, visit td.com slash options education month. Once again, to find out what webinars, masterclasses, and on-demand video lessons are available to view for free, visit td.com slash options education month. 
Welcome to the More Money Podcast, Mark. I'm so excited to have you on the show. It is, you know, to, I, I don't know why I didn't have you on the show earlier. I've known you for a number of years. I've loved all the content you put out. So long time coming, but I think, you know, save the best for last. You're kind of at the end of this season of the show, saving the best for last. That's awesome. Yeah, Jessica, we have known each other for quite a while. Very happy to be on the show. Um, certainly seeing your progress in terms of all the uh, millennial uh, money expert meetings that you've been doing, uh, the growth of your YouTube channel, obviously uh, national media. It's been great to follow you over the years and see how you've put out some really great content. So happy to be here, all that to say. Well, thank you very much. And and honestly, your blog is one of my favorite resources to point people to. There's, I mean, there's so much there. It's incredible. I was just uh, looking at it again, just to kind of jog my memory. And my God, it's if anyone has a question, you will have an answer somewhere on your website. How many? I mean, how? So let, let's start from there. How? When did you start it? It said on your website 2009. Is that right? Yeah, it's probably late 2009 or early 2010. So yeah, we're definitely going on 11 years now with the blog. And I've been on, you know, whether it's Canadian Money Forum or other iterations of uh, other people's blogs um, from, I would say, the late, you know, 2000s, if you will. So it's it's been a while. I've been in the personal finance investing space, either thinking about it, writing other people about it, or having my own blog for well over a decade now. So um yeah, thank you. I, I, I try to answer a lot of reader questions. Um, I try to answer as many truthfully and honestly as I can. And and if I don't know the answers, I'll definitely try to point people in the right direction. It's really what the site's all about, including my own uh, personal finance journey, of course. So what, I mean, 2009, a lot was going on back then. What inspired you to start a blog? I mean, and that's also like an early time to have a blog. I didn't know blogs were a thing back in 2009. I'll tell you that right now. So <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah. You know, I think the, the, however you want to coin it, the great financial crisis, the great recession, if you will, that was a real driver for me because I looked at my mutual fund holdings at the day, at the time and, and invested in some big bank funds. And it got me questioning about, you know, why are these things going down? They were supposed to have some sort of medium risk rating, but why is my portfolio down 30%? That seems like a lot for some sort of risk rating on a fund. My advisor from my big bank was not calling me at the time. So I was kind of wondering, okay, well, what role do they play in my fund selection and follow up? And then I looked at the fees and I thought, wow, I'm paying, you know, X number of fees for this product or fund. It's going down. I'm not necessarily getting any hands on support per se. So I just started asking a lot of questions like, where does my money go and where do these fees go? And what happens if I don't pay these fees and what alternatives are there out there? So I was kind of doing all this noodling around 2008 and maybe even a bit earlier. And then the crisis during the crisis going through that, you know, 09, 10, it really was the driver for me to, I would say, get my financial act together in my 30s because I figured, uh, and we've heard this over and over over the years from you and everybody else, but, you know, at the end of the day, nobody cares more about your money than you do or your family does. So why not take some matters into your own hands and try to learn what you can? and get support where you need it and um, you know, just be better off financially because of it. Now, obviously, 
a lot has changed since then. I found, because I, I feel like I started kind of, yeah, in 2010, that was kind of when I started kind of, well, yeah, 2009, 2010 was when I started like picking up, you know, some personal finance books and, and actually discovering that there's this whole personal finance online community. There still wasn't, it still wasn't easy to find out the information you wanted. Like you had to do some digging. You had to be an investigator. It was, it was not as easy as now where you can just Google and you'll have an answer. So how did you... I kind of, I guess, get started. Like, how did you, you know, because your website uh, right now is just like so, I mean, it really gives you so much good, good information, but I'm sure it was difficult to kind of start putting it all together at the start because there really wasn't anything out there on the internet talking about this stuff. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there were a couple early blogs that I followed. So one was Million Dollar Journey. I think that was a popular one at yes. the time. And it was probably one of the first personal finance sites in terms of talking about his particular journey or his family's journey to financial independence and how he invested and so on and so forth. That was one I followed quite a bit. Uh, Canadian Money Forum, it still remains a forum. It's changed hands over the years, but that was a popular site. I think Dan Bordelotti was launching his Canadian Couch Potato back in the day as well. Um, there's a few other sites as well, but I really dove into to, to those sites I got intrigued by um, uh, millionaire teacher, so you know Canadian, but now expat Andrew Hallam, um, who's written a couple books about millionaire teacher and being an expat um, and how to invest wisely uh, because of that. So there were a few books out there. The Wealthy Barber was probably the more seminal one for me back in the late '80s, early '90s when I was kind of growing up. That thought, you know, gosh, pay yourself first, and that makes sense. And then obviously he released the sequel to that many years later, but. You're right. There wasn't a lot out there. You really had to dig for it. And I just, I've always had a passion for personal finance and investing. So I, I maybe went down a few more rabbit holes than other people did at the time. And I decided to start my own site because I figured it was really much like a blog is. It was kind of my diary to hold myself to account. And it was my online journal to tell myself um, what I was doing well and also what I messed up in. And certainly I've made my share of investing mistakes and I've got articles about that on my site, but I'd like to think I've made more or better decisions than than not. And and certainly the blog is, is really a chronicle of that. So I'm happy to provide and share what I know, but also pay forward, if you will, those lessons learned so that other people don't have to make the same mistakes I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of those mistakes. What were some of those mistakes? Because obviously, <laughs> I mean, I always think of a mistake as a lesson learned. And, and now not only did you learn a lesson, but then you can also share it with uh, other people so they could not make those mistakes. But what were some of the things you were like, okay, well, no, don't do that again. <laughs> yeah. Penny stocks was a big one for me. I mean, mm. in my 20s, um, maybe that's the new crypto and stuff like that. And I think, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think dabbling in a bit of that is fun, like, honestly fine. If you have a very small percentage of your portfolio that you want to put in some speculative stuff, you know, I kind of use a 5% rule mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. now where if you want to put some stuff into a cryptocurrency ETF, or you want to put things into an alternative investment, like private lending or other things, uh, you know, I guess that's fine if that's where your risk tolerance lies, but keep the other 95% into things that we'll probably talk about later, either low cost index funds, passive investing, or, you know, maybe some uh, stable, stable air quote stocks or, or dividend paying companies that you have a history that they have performed very well in the past. And they hopefully, hopefully will continue to perform well in the future. Um, but penny stocks is definitely one of them, Jessica, I would, I would avoid people dabbling and speculating with too much from their portfolio. So kind of use that 5% or less rule. 
Um, I bought mortgage um, life insurance, if you will. So from mm, the big banks. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. So many, many years ago, like many terms ago, um, we signed up at the bank and we filled in the waiver and we said, of course, we want you know, you to cover off our, our life insurance. But we both know that's a bad product for a couple of key reasons. One is the underwriting process happens after the fact. So that's mm-hmm. not good, right? Because maybe your claim is denied for some reason. So something unforeseen happened to you or your spouse. And the second biggest thing is it's not like mortgage insurance where you have the coverage guaranteed. There's no guaranteed value. Like it's 100,000, 500,000, whatever it may be. As your mortgage goes down, so does your life insurance. So wait a second, you're paying for premiums for decreasing guarantees. That's not very good. That's not what life insurance should be about. You should pay premiums to have a guarantee. So it defeats the whole purpose, in my opinion. Um, so that's another big one that I would I would caution people. And then certainly, we'll talk about it, uh, high-priced funds and high-priced products. I mean, there are so many people that get sold a promise of, mm-hmm. of guarantees through pay for performance mutual funds and um, paying 1%, 2% MER, management expense ratios, for for really decisions that mutual fund managers and active management cannot keep up with um, in the coming years. You know, what is the ratio? Something like 80 to 90% of all active money management really fails because they wow. are kind of more or less forced to trade. They're, they're yeah. seeking performance. Yeah. So you build that active management into the advisor uh, fee that you're paying, you're actually saving for two retirements. You're saving for your own and you're saving for the mutual fund salesperson. So mm-hmm. um, those are three big ones. You know, there's, there's certainly maybe buying too much house or, you know, buying for new cars. And, you know, we could talk about getting the big three life and, 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 and life, right. You know, housing, transportation and, and food and groceries kind of thing. But yeah, at the end of the day, if you don't speculate too much and, um, you really mine your fees and you watch carefully about the fine print and some of the products that some of the banks offer. Uh, those are really good hedges in terms of making good financial decisions. So how did you, because it seems like you have a very specific um, you know, investment strategy that you've kind of built over all these years, something that's right for you. And you do share a little bit on your blog, but you don't share everything, which I actually appreciate because I'm always, when I see someone sharing all of their numbers and everything. And they're a public person. Like I personally, I'm just like so scared that someone is going to like find out where you live and get all your money. Like I will never share any of that. That's terrifying. But you do share a little bit about, um, you know, kind of what you do. Tell me a little bit about how did you kind of decide this is how I want to invest. I know you are a fan of ETFs, but you also are, you know, very much into dividend uh, stocks and stuff like that. Can you kind of tell me how did you develop your own kind of strategy for your for your own investments? Yeah, great question. Um, I guess the essence of it is coming out of the the Great Recession, if you will, the financial crisis of you know the 0910 space. I really looked at some of the funds I was in, and I kind of noticed some themes. And I, I you know I looked at those those mutual funds and other mutual funds, Canadian equity funds, U.S. equity funds, and I started looking at the the stocks. And I go, wow, we've got some banks, we've got some utilities, we have some telcos here in Canada. You know. Um, Robellus, right? Rogers and Bell and Telus, if you want to use a little moniker. But, you know, we have energy companies, obviously, and then utilities and, and so on and so forth. Uh, railroads. So I kind of likened it to like a game of Monopoly, right? You've got banks and railroads and utility companies and all these things. And it's like, well, these types of companies have been in the same fund for many years. And it seems like they make a lot of money. And so it allowed me to go down and start digging and looking at, you know, just high level income statements and 
cash flow statements and things like that from these companies. And I'm like, wow, these companies make a lot of money and they tend to distribute some of that money as part of a dividend to shareholders. Well, instead of owning the mutual funds, why don't I just buy the companies themselves, right? So let's skip the middleman and why not just get paid? And so I actually started doing that with a few stocks in my early days. I think Enbridge, I've chronicled that on my site. It was one of the first dividend stocks I bought 12 some years ago. And I've slowly been accumulating, um, whether it's a pipeline company, a telco company, a bank, a life insurance, again, like Monopoly, the railroads. I've been adding those companies to my portfolio. I've essentially built my own Canadian ETF, if you will. But I've basically uh, done it fairly methodically and systematically. And um, you know, I get the rewards of being a shareholder in all those companies by getting paid a dividend as well as capital appreciation and, and basically paying no money, no money management fees in the process. So that's where I've really gravitated to dividend investing because a, I think it's a, it's an approach that suits my behavioral style and that may or may not work for other people, but I enjoy the fact of, of getting paid. So there's that psychological benefit. It also helps me, um, when markets decline so we obviously saw some terrible stuff happening for a lot of people uh financially or otherwise from the covid crisis around march 2020 and i didn't sell anything in fact i was looking to buy more because i had a hedge that things will come back eventually so it helps me from the downside perspective as well that it allows me to stick to a plan that i truly believe in so the income comes in through the dividends but it's also psychologically motivating that I'm getting paid to wait or I'm getting paid to write out some returns. And because I own many of the stocks that the same big fund companies own, I've, I've either beat or you know ridden the market returns of at least the Canadian index for my stock portfolio. US, we can talk about that or international. It's a bit different. I do tend to invest in more ETFs just because I find the whole universe of investing in the US space very challenging. And there's so many other sectors. So because we're dominated in financials and energy and some telco, it's pretty easy to know the companies in Canada. Yeah, it is. I find it really challenging to kind of um, pick through those companies in the U.S. So I prefer to own index funds or in the past some dividend ETFs from the U.S. And I try not to do as much stock selection for those reasons, just because it's it's a huge, it's a much bigger universe. So that's kind of the journey. Um, and I kind of coined it the hybrid investor, right? I I invest yeah. in a mix of dividend-paying stocks for income and some price appreciation. And I also invest in some low-cost ETFs for primarily just growth. And um, that approach seems to work for my temperament, but it also seems to work for the bank account too. Do you... Because I, I feel like I was looking on your um, FAQ page and you know you get so many questions and someone was asking about drips, whether you um, set that up or do you get the income or or you know I think a lot of people that want to get into dividend investing... They're not sure at, at what point can you actually take that income, you know, because that's always the dream. I know, I, I don't know if you saw the tweet today, but I know, or maybe it was like yesterday, but Bob was uh, from Talk End was tweeting that he got some uh, email from someone who had like a crazy huge portfolio, like $8 million, and his like dividends were like 300000 a year. I'm like, wow, no, that's something I'd like to have. <laughs> that's, that's living something. large, isn't that's it? That's living it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The thing with dividends is you can kind of take them as cash. I, I'll probably have a, a dividend. I I provide a monthly dividend income update, and I try to share as much as I can. But you know, I I am personal, and and I do keep some things reserved. Um, but you know, part of those monthly updates that I do provide shows the power of of compounding and, and growth. And if you let those dividends be reinvested, 
um, you're basically taking a total return approach. I actually have that in my update coming up uh, in the next couple of days. The, the essence of it is if you're reinvesting the dividends, so you get paid the dividends and you can set up dividend reinvestment plans with your brokerage or with Quest Trade for your ETFs or well simple or any of the, the, the ones out there. Um, those dividends basically just get uh, reinvested to buy more shares next quarter or next month. So the money is just compounding, which is great. But you can turn those drips, as they call them, dividend reinvestment plans off, and you can just take the cash. So the cash will just come into your account and it'll just sit there until you want to do something with it, spend it or, you know, whatever you want, buy new stocks, buy more of the same stocks, et cetera. So yeah, the power of dividend investing is, is quite powerful, but it is a get wealthy eventually plan to the point of, of what maybe that tweet was. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to be hitting home runs. I would liken it to basically hitting a bunch of singles, right? Um, <laughs> in the ballpark where you're getting paid and money's getting reinvested and then you're getting paid again and money's getting reinvested. And so it's a get wealthy eventually plan that it takes time to be invested, um, to stay invested and then to allow those dividends to compound over time. And you can do obviously very similar with an ETF or a low cost index fund that pays distributions. And you can also reinvest that. Uh, through any of your big bank brokerages or some of the low-cost uh, alternatives out there as well. Um, but I think the power of dividend investing is, is seeing that income in and then having that optionality. Can I take the cash or do I want to just reinvest it? And so that's an option that's available to and appealing to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. No, I know one of your um, big goals is, you know, semi-retirement. So what, what are your plans exactly? Because I know you're not quite, I would say, like a typical fire person who's like super aggressive and like living on be- beans until they hit their number. You're kind of doing the get rich slowly kind of thing, which I, I also uh, ascribe to. Uh, so what, yeah, what's your kind of goal or your plan and how, and when do you know you're going to hit it? How are things going? <laughs> yeah. Lo- lots of great questions. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've always been kind of on the semi-retirement, get wealthy eventually, you know, do it at your own pace type thing. I'm not a live off lentils, beans, and wieners type of guy <laughs> to get to some destination, um, artificially or by a certain deadline that I had to fire, you know, financial independence, retire early. Um, I don't mind the financial independence part mm-hmm. uh, as part of your question. I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the retire early because I think anybody in their 30s uh, like yourself or, or 40s like myself, or even even in your 50s, if you are an entrepreneur, you like to create, you like to blog, have a successful podcast, YouTube, write a book, you're kind of an entrepreneur and you, yeah, you kind of have still a, a job. <laughs> you still, it's still a job and you're still working for income. So there's a bit of a fallacy behind the retire early thing. It's maybe more marketing than not. So I, I do aspire to work on my own terms. So I've kind of coined my own uh, thing, like Phi Woot, just financial independence work on own terms. I like that. <laughs> and I think um, it kind of speaks to the hoopla and the incentive that there's nothing wrong with financial independence. I think it's great living below your means and saving a bit of money for you and your family. But my wife and I are much more about living a bit for today and saving for tomorrow. We want to take trips. Um, you know, we've made life changes. We've sold a house and we bought a condo in the city uh, a couple of years ago and moved back. It costs more money, but at the end of the day, we're happier and we like it here. So to me, life and financial dependence is in the journey getting there is all about trade-offs and and it's all about choices. And hopefully everybody is trying to make more good choices than not. But yeah, um, my journey has always been kind of a get wealthy eventually plan and having a methodical 
systematic way through dividends and or low cost ETFs to to save a bit today um, to, to to squirrel away some money, but at the same time not lose sight that um, you know things can change and life is very fragile and you need to enjoy good restaurants and good food. And if you want to spend money on takeout and things you enjoy with your friends in a non-COVID world or other things, yeah. then live your life because as you should. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have never wanted to spend more money in my life than right now when I cannot spend any money because there's nothing to spend money on. <laughs> I hear you. I mean, there, right? I mean, there is. You can find some ways to spend money. But in general, the things that I like to spend money on, like travel or going to restaurants, we cannot do that right now. So I, I completely agree. This this whole year has uh, really kind of reminded me that it's so important to enjoy the journey, like you say, because we are on a journey. It's a long journey. And I, and I don't know about you, but every time I reach a destination or like a hit a goal, I'm always like, ah, now what? Like, it's never yeah. like, now I'm satisfied with that accomplishment. You're always just like, now what? And so, you know, what's the rush really? Depending on, I mean, a lot of it, I think, uh, you know, I've talked to so many people in the community, it's because they hate their jobs. So fair enough. But uh, I mean, then maybe just find a different job or career path instead of just going hard and, you know, living on beans for a decade. Totally. I mean, I mean, there's, I think I wrote a post on my site. It's about a, a few of them, like strive for financial independence, not retire early, or here's my phases of financial independence. And, you know, it's about some level of financial awakening, meaning, wow, what is this possibility? And then there's the education and then there's the adoption, which is you trying to entrench that into your cash flow management. So you, you kind of value where your money goes. So that could be on restaurants like you and I both like. That could be on travel like you and I both like. That could be on, you know, buying a bigger house or a nice car. There's nothing wrong with that. But as long as that money aligns with your values, then there's no tension there anymore, right? You've reduced all that stress and overhead. And I think that's what people have to wrap their head around is there's absolutely stress about not having enough money or making enough money. I, I totally understand. And I was, I was younger and in my twenties and living in, you know, <laughs> uh, decrepit housing yeah, me in too. Toronto <laughs> when I was there um, with three other people for many years. And I, but I, you know, I, that was a point in time and I knew if I worked hard and saved well, I would be in a better place hopefully eventually. But all that being said, yeah, you need to make sure where your money goes is where you value it. Um, and I just never saw the point of working in a job that you absolutely dislike to try to save a lot of money, to try to leave that job only to have meager means to continue to live like a, a student or what have you on, on scarcity if you don't, if, if that's not making you happy. So, um, I think at the end of the day, it's really important to understand your own behavior, your own emotional attachment to money where you value things and i think if you go on that journey first the rest actually just falls into place quite nicely and you can leave that angry you know disgruntled <laughs> job and, and move on to other things that provide value in your life mm -hmm. and also asking yourself okay i think a lot of people focus so much on achieving you know fire or uh, financial independence but maybe don't ask themselves enough, but why though? But like, and really like asking why several times to get to like the root of the answer. Like, why do you actually want to achieve that? And sometimes it's just like, I want to get out of my situation. I want just more freedom. I want to change my life completely or whatever. And it's, I feel like it's, it's one of those things. I mean, that's why I quit my job. It's, I'm like, I, I was thinking of kind of doing the fire. I'm like, or I could just quit my job. 
because <laughs> yeah. it's not fulfilling wow. me, you know. Um, and I was fine getting a, a different job, like a different company or anything. But it's just, sometimes I, I had to ask myself several questions, like, "But why do you? Why are you actually unhappy?" I'm like, "Oh, it's actually the job. I can change that. That's something that I can change." Super smart. I mean, what's lost, and it may be COVID in a somewhat positive way over a very trying year and a half for for many people. You know, this, this power of reflection where you do ask yourself, why? What's important to me? What, what do I value? What do I need? What do I not like? Those are really important questions and they're not easy to answer. And, and you need time to think those through. And so, you know, I think that's maybe we'll talk about it in this episode or future episodes, but I think that's where certified, you know, planners or fee only planners can really help you because they can be that unbiased coach, if you will that allows you to go down that that thought journey to explore some of those feelings because everyone has feelings and emotions tied to money, but until you unpack them, yeah. maybe you don't need a lot and that's okay. Maybe some people need a lot more than they think and that's okay too. But until you go down that road and asking those really important questions, it's it's really hard to know what you're saving for and why it's important to you, your family. Or even figuring out your number. I mean, I see people post their, you know, FI numbers all the time and everyone has different numbers. But I think sometimes when you just look too much at what other people are doing, you lose sight of what actually makes sense for you. And again, it's people really focus on, I need this amount of money. And you're like, but why? And also like, what will actually make you happy? Like, honestly, you know, I get asked all the time, is this something you're pursuing? I'm like, actually, no, I've never been happier in my life. And it's not like anything's crazy in my life. I am not rich by any means, but I I feel satisfied because I also realized objects and things. Yeah, I'd love to have a bigger house. Sure. I mean, I'm stuck at this townhouse and I'm going crazy. But I also realize I'm I'm just being emotional. We're in a pandemic. I don't actually like if I were to get a bigger house and a bigger mortgage and all that stuff, would I actually be happier? I'd probably be a lot more stressed out if I'm honest. So really, yeah, yeah, going back to what, you know, what would actually make you happy? What do you actually want in life? I feel like, yeah, 2020 has been the year of taking that time to really reflect. And even if it means you can't make a move now, because again, I know everyone's just like holding on to their jobs because it's maybe not the easiest job market. You can make plans though. And that's the, that's the exciting part is making those plans. (laughs) I think so. I think that's where you, your site, many other great Canadian sites. Um, I think hopefully what we're offering to Canadians is that perspective. And it's really the process of planning and replanning that's super important, right? The outcome is going to be different. As you know, you can make the best played plans. Um, You know, what did Mike Tyson say? You know, plans are everything until you get punched in the face kind of thing. (laughs) You know, that's what COVID was. It was a punch in the face to a lot of people, right? It really was. But I think it's the process of planning and replanning that's super important. And once you kind of get that down um, with your own life, whatever that number may be, I think um, you're well on your way to, to better things. So what are your plans and how did, did COVID change any of them? Like, are you have you reached your kind of number or are you still on your way? And, and how has the last year kind of affected things for you? Yeah, um, another great question. So uh, we've been fortunate, my wife and I, to sustain uh, retain our jobs. Um, I know that's not the case for, for many Canadians and it's been hard and, uh, just want to acknowledge that, that mm-hmm. there have been some great government programs, albeit you criticize them in terms of how they were packaged and how they yeah. rolled out. But, you know, honestly, the government tried to do the best they could for many people. So, so, yeah. uh, want to acknowledge that. That being said, I'm not in the government. I work in healthcare. Um, but we're fortunate to have, uh, jobs and retain them. Um, we feel we have a great employer. And um, COVID has impacted our work a little bit. And that obviously we're working from home and gone through many, many lockdowns. So that's been 
a little bit trying, but certainly not to the extent that other people have felt it. So uh, we remain fortunate and we know that. Um, how does it affect our plans going forward? I think I think we're probably still on target to do the semi-retirement thing in a few years. I know for a fact, to be honest, uh, Jessica, we could have, you know, financial independence work on own terms probably a few years ago had we not bought the condo and moved and some of the things that I talked about earlier. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, life is not about making the best optimal financial choice. Yeah. It's about making the best decision at the time. And sometimes those things work out in your favor and sometimes they don't. So I would say we're still in line to, you know, do some sort of semi-retirement of years, which feels great. Uh, hopefully we can travel again and I can get better fitness and go on my bike more and <laughs> golf a bit more and, and do some other things, volunteer more in the community, things I've kind of put off because I, I just don't feel like I have the bandwidth um, and new ventures, whatever they may be. But yeah, that's the game plan for us. We want to be able to take advantage of our health while we're in our you know 40s and 50s and 60s and who knows what's around the corner. Um, but there's a lot of other things we want to contribute to. So hopefully we'll be able to take advantage of that soon. And does semi-retirement for you mean working part-time? Is that what that means to I you? I think so. I think yeah. so. I'd love to stay with my current employer. I don't know if they, some of them may be listening. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll be honest. It'd be nice to stay with the current employer and work part-time, do some contract work or consulting work with them if they'll have us. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is this is very much our, our decision and our journey. And... Um, if it doesn't come to pass, that's okay. You know, we, we've we've tried to save a bit of money and, um, you know, have some other hobbies like the blog and other things that, you know, may not provide minimum wage money, and that's okay. But but it's a it's a labor of love, and if it's something that grows more over time, cool. But if not, maybe there's other things we can get involved with and and have a little side income beyond the dividends and the ETF distributions and other things like that. So there's always things to think about, but that that's the game plan is to not quit work or end full-time work right away. Really, I think a transition is something that we're both looking at because it just makes the most sense for us. And it, it hedges so many other risks in terms of healthcare, sequence of returns with the market. I mean, you could go on and on housing. Who knows if things will crash or burn or whatever. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's the game plan. Yeah, sounds like a good plan. Well, I know in terms of, you know, your website, obviously you have my own advisor, but you also co-founded Cashflows and Portfolios not too long ago. When did you launch that? A few months ago? Yeah, yeah just a few months ago, actually. Yeah. yeah. And so tell me what it is. Why did you put it together? Who is it for? What can people expect? Yeah, cool. So you're right. I have my own advisor. Uh, so that's myownadvisor.ca. And that's really my blog and my personal story and you know my passions and interviews and giveaways and stuff but you're right i launched cashflows and portfolios.com and it's a new site and really what we're trying to do with that site with my uh partner is is really provide some end-to-end -end guidance almost like how-to guidance for folks so you know um We've recently posted the last couple months some um, uh, kind of everything you need to know about the TFSA and everything you need to know about the RSB. And we we tend to build upon those or we intend to build upon those rather over long periods of time to make those kind of standalone really, you know, beasts of a post. It's going to be a lot of reading, but it's also going to be tons of details. But what we'll try to do over time is, you know, maybe think about packaging those things into some sort of ebook. On, on or a top course of that, with videos or something. Or a course with videos. Just... Yeah, who knows? No, maybe just more ebooks. But yeah, who knows what the future holds? But 
also as part of that site, we're also offering case studies. And I think people learn, adults learn in, in some cases by example, right? They want to see what other people are doing. They want to see, oh, okay, I love what, seeing what other people are doing. It's my yeah, favorite so, thing. <laughs> you know, what is, what is this fire person doing at 50 or what's this person on a low income doing at 60 to fund their retirement? So we want to build examples through case studies on the site and showcase how we can basically uh, demonstrate that these people will be financially okay, or they've got multiple income streams to secure their retirement, or maybe they could do the side gig semi-retirement and they'll be fine. There's so many things that make personal finance personal. We just wanted to create a, a site that's a little bit different, that offers a little bit more case studies and offers some services related to those case studies should people want to uh, reach out to us and contact us and say, hey, you know, I want to be profiled. Um, I want to take advantage of maybe your services. And so we're offering that in terms of, uh, of um, you know, basically a package where um, you ask us what you need and, and we can have a conversation about what kind of service that may offer in terms of running some projections for you. Um, and that's really it. It's certainly no advice. It's certainly not, um, uh, I would say, any detailed coaching just because we're not qualified and we don't want to be in that uh, that position, obviously. Don't want to get sued. <laughs> don't get sued. I'm, I'm always like, I don't want to get sued. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, we know we know people, back to our earlier point, you know, 20, 2009, 2010, people are clamoring for financial information. They want, they want, they mm -hmm. want to know that what they're doing is is safe and smart, or they want uh, an objective opinion from you and your, you know, some of your things that you're doing or other people. So um, yeah, that's what that site is all about. And we're happy to offer something a little bit different and unique in terms of case studies and examples for Canadians. So um, I would encourage them to check it out at cashflowsandportfolios.com. But uh, the My Own Advisor site is certainly not going anywhere anytime soon. Oh, good. It's funny. I feel like I've never really thought about the name of your website, My Own Advisor. I never really thought about what does that mean? Learning about like just hearing you kind of describe your journey. I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But also, I think I, I didn't record uh, this part where we were kind of chatting beforehand. You know, we get probably asked all the time, can you give me some advice? And it's like, no, I cannot give you advice. <laughs> um, I can give you some information and some education. That is all I can give. But it is so difficult in Canada to actually get investment advice that's unbiased. I feel like it actually is impossible. If you work with a fee-only financial planner, they can't actually give you specific investment advice because they do not have the uh, proper licenses. And if you do work with an investment professional with the specific licenses, they're going to be selling you products. So they're not unbiased. So we as Canadians are kind of we kind of have to be our own advisor a little bit. That's why I mean, I do my own thing. And I, I'm still a big fan of working with a fee only planner because they can help you in so many other aspects when it comes to the investing side of things. In my mind, it just makes so much sense to be either a you know do it yourself investor or use a robo advisor if you want kind of that middle ground someone is you, you know you, it's still being managed but again you there's more transparency you know what's going on um but yeah it's like we all kind of have to be our own advisor i just had a moment like oh my god that makes so much sense that's yeah <laughs> you've, you've you've that's the easter egg of the whole name on my site yeah i mean back to my site it is the whole journey it's my, you know i am my own advisor right so whether it's understanding insurance or bad mortgage life insurance or don't invest in penny stocks or all the other things we talked about, or it's about investment and making smart decisions and, you know, making smart mortgage decisions. I mean, that's, that's the whole site. It's, it runs the gamut of all those things in personal finance, but I, I would 110% agree with you. It's very challenging 
to get unbiased advice, you're either working, like you say, with a feline planner, which I would say there's a couple directories out there in, in the Canadian space that we could mm-hmm. probably link to in your show notes. Or yeah, whatever, there's not a lot of them. I have a few on my website, but there's not a lot of fee-only planners in Canada, really. Exactly. And so I would I would gravitate to them if you need planning advice. They do an excellent job of taking you A to Z in terms of understanding whether it's investments and and where your money's going and estate planning and other things. But you're right in terms of getting specific product experience or, or product recommendations. That's really hard. You're walking a fine line with someone that has a bias to having their assets under management from you. And so where do you go? Certainly robo advisors, I would, I would second that as well. But it's kind of in this, this gray zone, unfortunately, in Canada, where you do need to take a few things into your own hands because the regulatory framework, to be honest, is not helping Canadians to date. I'm optimistic things will change. Um, over time, but, um, you know, certainly hopefully through independent bloggers, podcasters and content folks that are really passionate about this stuff. And we're all doing it for our own best interest. I'm optimistic that if we share our stories, our experiences, our, our highlights, but also our pitfalls, you know, I think every Canadian can take something from some of these sites and learn something and really tailor their own plan. And I know you're very good to answer reader questions and. And the like, and I try to do the same on my site for that reason, because we all started out from somewhere, right? And we all needed to know some answers. And um, it's really helpful to, to gravitate to, to people who are willing to take the time to write back and provide a perspective, even if it's personal, it's a perspective that people can, can take in and absorb and be a bit of a sponge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you've got so many great resources, like we mentioned, my own advisor and cash flows and portfolios and also follow you on Twitter. I enjoy you and all the other kind of regular personal finance folks on Twitter. I just like to creep. I don't really sometimes even join you guys. I just like creeping on your conversations. (laughs) See what you're talking about. (laughs) It's fun. I like to. It's one of my main channels. I mean, I know... There's I know, I feel bloggers. like it's not cool anymore, but Twitter used to be cool, but I guess it's for old people like us. <laughs> it's old people like us. Yeah. I mean, everyone's on TikTok and other kind of media now, I but um, I still like it. I, I get a lot of engagement out of folks like you and other bloggers and, uh, you know, some of the financial journalists that I know really well across the country um, who are retired or still working, Globe and Mail, or Financial Post, or otherwise. Um, so, you know, Alan Roseman, you know, the names go on and on, but. Uh, it's great to inter, um, inter, you know, interact with all those people and learn from them and see what they've done, but also see what they're writing about or talking about. I, I still find it fun. So, you know, all that to say, continue to creep as well, as much as you yeah, want. I will. You know, where, you, know where to find, <laughs> you know where to find the crew of us. I know there is a bit of a crew and I like it. It's very cool. Um, so thanks for, for joining me. It was, uh, yeah, too long. Like I really should have had you on the show so much sooner, but you know what? we have more to talk about now because it's been so long. So it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I'll have to have you back, maybe especially too, once you actually, you know, are semi-retired and you've actually done that. I want to get an update. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. So obviously we'll stay in touch, but I'm happy to be back anytime, Jessica, and kudos to all the work you're doing um, with your site and uh, pleasure to be here again. And that was episode 283 with Mark Seed. Uh, Make sure to uh, check out his stuff at myownadvisor.ca. Also, cashflowsandportfolios.com, his uh, other project. Uh, If you're a DIY investor, highly recommend just, I mean, just checking out both of his websites. They're amazing. Also, make sure to follow him on the uh, Twitter at myownadvisor. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And of course, if you want to learn more about uh, some of the things that we talked about, 
talked about or just find all of the links in one nice place, you can check out the show notes for this episode, jessicmorehouse.com slash 283. Now, as always, I have some important things to share, some announcements that you will not want to miss. I just have a few words I want to share about this podcast episode sponsor, and then I will get to some very exciting things. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by TD Direct Investing. June is Options Education Month, and TD Direct Investing is hosting a number of free virtual events throughout the month to educate both beginners and more advanced investors about, well, their options with trading options. Or if you want a full walkthrough of options trading for beginners, there are also a number of on-demand video lessons that will walk you through what options are, common option terms such as calls and puts, what the difference between in the money and out of the money options are, and a whole bunch more. To learn more and to find out what free events you'd like to check out, visit td.com slash options education month. Once again, to find out what webinars, masterclasses, and on-demand video lessons are available to view for free, visit td.com slash options education month. Okay, so uh, number one, just a reminder, I have a big book giveaway uh, right now. I think at this very moment, I'm giving away 10 books and I'm going to add another four in the coming weeks because I have more authors coming on the show. You can find out more information about that at jessicamorehouse.com slash contest or also just check out the show notes for this episode, jessicamorehouse.com slash 283 um, is where you can uh, enter to win. Again, I'm giving away a ton of books, so you have actually a better chance of winning because there's a lot of books to be had. Also, I do want to share um, just in case you're wondering, hey, when are we wrapping up this season of the show? Because if you're a longtime listener, uh, typically I would probably be wrapping it up like this week, actually. This is the week that I would usually end the season. Not this year. Um, I just had a lot of great guests on the show that kept on coming and, and I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Let's record it. And so I'm actually going to be extending my season. So the last episode should air um, the second week of July. And actually there's, a, in the coming weeks, uh, there's going to be a couple bonus um, podcast episodes. So sometimes there's going to be two episodes in one week and the final week, there's going to be three episodes. Yeah, crazy. So anyways, uh, in terms of the book uh, giveaway, so I will be announcing those winners most likely not on the podcast because I do want to give you some time to enter to win on also the, the final week. I do have an author coming on. And so that's when I add in that uh, book to to enter to win. Um, so it coincides with the interview. So I'll probably announce the winners like the following week. Um, so I, I probably, yeah, I won't announce it on the podcast. That's why you have to, uh, get on my email list to find out who are the winners. Obviously, if you win, I'm going to email you directly. Um, but, uh, to stay in touch, you got to get on my email list because you may not have known if you were not on my email list. Not only did I do a, a webinar on uh, Tuesday, May 25th, I actually did a second one because it was like actually surprising to me the huge uh, demand for me to do another webinar on the same topic. It's about investing, guys. Um, so I, I did one on uh, May 25th and I did one yesterday on June 1st because, yeah, I had hundreds of people wanting to get in and uh, couldn't make it. So I, I, I thought I'd redo it. So if you're on my email list, then you were notified that I was doing another webinar. Um, but uh, yeah, but I didn't have time to announce it on the podcast because I already, you know, edited the episode. So I'm so sorry. But that being said, I'm probably going to do a few more webinars uh, throughout the summer while I'm kind of off the podcast. So again, 
great way to stay in touch with me. Get on my email list, jessicamorehouse.com slash subscribe. If you just go to jessicamorehouse.com, you'll be able to easily find ways to get onto that email list. Also uh, follow me on the gram because I'm a gran and still say the gram and no one else says that, right? No one says that. Uh, Instagram, you can find me at Jessica I Morehouse and you can also follow the podcast specifically at more money podcast. Um, I don't typically announce things like webinars or things like that on the podcast. It's really just to, sh- you know, hey, there's a new episode. That's kind of it. So follow me on Jessica I Morehouse on Instagram. I also usually announce these things on Twitter. You can find me at J-E-S-S-I underscore Morehouse. Um, but the email list is really just the best way to kind of stay in touch with me if I'm uh, perfectly honest. But Instagram's fun because uh, pretty much weekly I do and ask me uh, anything, but, you know, on a specific topic, whether it's, you know, debt or or budgeting or self-employment or taxes or investing. I usually do a kind of, you know, give me your questions and I will answer them. They're a lot of fun. So you can participate. I typically do those on Tuesdays at noon Eastern time, but I will be uh, doing some more webinars. Um, but another thing to also notify you about is uh, I have a YouTube channel. I have actually been very consistent with it, putting out an episode or not an episode, my gosh, uh, a video out every single week. Um, so I will be continuing to do that throughout the summer because I have no summer plans. I mean, I don't think I'm going anywhere because, you know, I'm not going anywhere until I get my second vaccine dose. Like that's just what's happening. Um, so yeah. And also the first, you know, the, the first place I'm going is Vancouver so I can visit my family. But so, so with that, I'm staying here in Toronto, uh, in my little office. So I will be turning out some more videos So make sure to check me out. You can find, uh, that, uh, info at jessicamorehouse.com slash YouTube. It'll redirect you to my YouTube channel or just Google Jessica Morehouse in YouTube. YouTube and you will find me right there. Um, 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 anything else exciting to share with you? I think that's kind of it at the moment. So I'm going to leave you there, but I will be back next week. You're not going to want to miss next week's episode. I've got, I've got someone big. Should I tease it? Should I tell you who I've got next week? Okay, fine. I'll tell you. I've got Tiffany Aliche, the founder of The Budget Nista, and she has a new book out that has been a New York Times bestseller for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, so I can't wait to have her on. So make sure to come back here next Wednesday to hear that episode. Okay, that is it for me. Thank you so much for listening. A big thank you to my podcast editor, Matt Rideout. Have a good rest of your week. Stay safe. Enjoy the hopefully nice weather, and I will see you back here next Wednesday. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.